as funny as everything is, as funny as, as the jokes are and all that, I mean, just looking back at this movie and seeing these people, 2001, it's, it feels like so damn long ago. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. This episode, we're going to be talking about the 2001 comedy from director David Wayne, Wet Hot American Summer. And I am joined on this this episode by David Rosen of the Piecing It Together pod. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me and for doing this particular movie. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, that's part of what the the idea behind this show is to have people come on and give them an excuse to talk about something that they love. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you never uh, you'll never run out of possibilities for guests or topics if you just give people an excuse to be like, hey, you know that movie that you always talk about, even if you whether you have a podcast or you're just a, a regular moviegoer, but you, you know, the one that you love and really is really close to your heart, but you never really have a chance to talk about it for an hour. <laughs> Let's set up a call. So to that end, tell people uh, a little bit about your show and uh, and what that's about, because I want to I want to dig into that with you a little, too. Yeah, sure. Well, on Piecing It Together, uh, what we do, we're a movie podcast. And what we do is we look at a movie through the lens of what other movies inspired it. And this opens up the conversation to where we can uh, not just, you know, review the movie, the new release that is out in the theaters currently that we're talking about, but to also be able to go on a big tangent talking about lots of other classics along the way and, you know, try to do little comparisons to various themes or the way that uh, movies are shot or the way they're written or just really anything that that reminds us of of these classics and that we see connections between with these new release movies that we're covering and i always have different guest co-hosts on and uh it's been going for about a year and a half now and i just love doing it i really love that you have a little bit of a more specific approach i mean that's part of what i've, I've had this show on and off for years and about a year mm-hmm. ago, I had to go back and, and just kind of take a step back and reformat it, which is where I came up with the current concept. But I think that's so important that everybody has a movie podcast, it feels like these days. There are so right, many right. out there. And I love that that you take a, you know, you have a, a specific angle that you're coming from that you, you know, you look and take a step back and look at the the big picture and the connectivity between uh, between films and 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 things like that. I think that's a really it's a really yeah. cool approach. I mean, I think of something like uh, for our hundredth episode, I did we did a two parter on The Matrix, and that is mm. like that film is a cornucopia of movies and and different entertainment it was influenced by, and then all the influences it has had since then. And I think it's really fun to, you know, you get a chance to appreciate pop culture in a totally different way when you look at it from that uh, from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, uh, it, you know, it'll lead the listeners, hopefully, and myself to uh, checking out movies that maybe I haven't seen before. And it's like, oh, I loved this movie. And, it, you know, if my guest brings up some movie that it totally reminded them of, and it's something I've never seen, it's like, oh, I got to go check that out. So what is one of the most difficult films that you've had on there that was hard to find out, find puzzle pieces for? Uh, like, you know, obviously some of the more genre heavy, like this summer, there's a lot of easy ones to to 
you know, to pin on like, well, you mm-hmm. know, this, this big sequel franchise, whatever was influenced by this, this, and this, but what is, what are some of the more, uh, distinctive, I guess, let's put it that way, films that you've covered? Yeah, that, that's a, a good question. Um, you know, we, actually just today, uh, when, uh, the, uh, the last black man in San Francisco, which was such a, uh, an interesting and unique film, it, it definitely, made for, uh, you know, a little bit difficult to try to find, you know, really appropriate pieces that, that we, we call them puzzle pieces, the movies that we say inspired the movie. And, uh, so it, it was, it's so unique and, and, and such a fresh voice that it's almost hard to, to find things. But of course we did find some good ones, I think along the way. Um, another recent one that was a little bit tough was, uh, the farewell, which, you know, it's such a sweet movie, um, but it's like, you know, I mean, it's basically a, a, a relationship, uh, you know, family, you know, kind of feel good, although sad comedy drama. And it's like there's so many and to just like kind of narrow it down to things that are more specific was definitely, you know, a little bit of a challenge in that case. But you know, then you've got things like uh, when we did uh, Midsummer. You know, or then you you know when you, when you do something like that, it actually you would think at first like, oh, this is so weird that it's going to be difficult, but it actually was kind of easy to to find some pretty clear influences along the way. Right. Well, with that one, I guess you could say some things like The Wicker Man and like uh, sure, yeah. So I feel like with some of the more hard harder to categorize films, I, I think you end up a lot of times focusing maybe more on tone than, than anything mm-hmm. else. I think, cause when you mentioned the farewell, I was thinking the first thing that came to my mind, I, I don't, I, I guess it's because of the, the combination of tragedy and comedy and also like the family aspect. I was thinking something like the big sick, um, mm-hmm. where, where it kind of, it's a really sweet movie and, but it's also really funny, but it's also has a sense of melancholy throughout. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a, that's a, those are actually good films. Uh, Midsummer is, Definitely one of the ones that made a, a big impact uh, on me seeing this, su- seeing it this summer, actually. And nice. um, yeah, I actually really noticed when I watched Ready or Not earlier last week or whenever, uh, I actually thought those two films are, are seem pretty closely connected in, in thematically. Is that something that you would agree with? I could totally see that, but what I actually wanted to mention real quick is since we're going to be talking about Wet Hot American Summer later in the episode, did you see that Wet Hot American Midsummer uh, comedy video that was on YouTube earlier oh, no, this year? No, I did not. I need to check that out. It, it is so freaking funny. I just it just popped in my head right now because we were just talking about these two movies, but so funny. That's crazy. <laughs> so that's actually a pretty good tangent uh, or segue rather. Uh, talk, talk about Wet Hot American Summer. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. Take a trip back to 1981 with the special people who made summer camp unforgettable. You guys aren't supposed to be out of your bunks. You're in trouble. The camp director. Four campers are stuck in the ropes course. I meant to tell you about that yesterday. Could you get to it now? The counselors. Wait for me, Abby Bernstein. Wait for me, my darling. Wait, wait, wait. That's once they got my shirt. The kitchen staff. Finish up the taters. I'm gonna go fondle my sweaters. Come on, what? You said you were gonna go fondle your sweaters. No, I didn't. The water sports. Hey, Andy, can I take out the barber? Sure. 
the nature hikes. Ow! Ow! And of course, who can forget the sags, the muggings, the cover-ups, the malaria, the psychotherapy. Hello. And the friendships that last a lifetime. We want you to be the guest of honor at our wedding next week. From USA Films. <laughs> and creators of TV's The State. A renegade piece of Skylab heading right for the camp. Oh, my God. It could kill us all. Janine Garofalo, David Hyde Pierce, Paul Rudd, Christopher Maloney, and Molly Shannon. Andy, have you seen my swimming buddy? I was busy. It's your job to make sure kids don't drown. Um. Where are we going? To a big secret pizza party. Wet, hot American summer. That was a little bit of the trailer for Wet Hot American Summer from 2001, directed by David Wayne. So, David, what I guess let's start out with what are some of the puzzle pieces you would you would name for Wet Hot American Summer to take your concept and apply it to this film? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, the easy ones, of course, are are uh, you know things like like meatballs and porkies mm-hmm. and you know all those all those kind of like sex comedies of you know and, and camp comedies uh, you know of, of the early '80s and all that. Uh, but then, of course, you could also I mean, this movie you know at its core it kind of is a spoof, and so you could absolutely look at things like Airplane and The Naked Gun as well. So I mean, I think. I think it would be a pretty great list of movies if we were to do like a full fledged episode on this. Yeah, it's that's part of what I think made this because I will get into your experience watching this film for the first time and your relationship with Mm. it in a second. But I hadn't seen this one. This is one that when you when you mentioned that you wanted to talk about it, I I was like, well, that's perfect because I that's always been a major blind spot for me. I actually used to work with uh, used to work with someone who would like reference the Wet Hot American Summer and the state. Uh, the MTV sketch series that this has a lot of uh, cast members in common with. Uh, and she would mm. mention that all the time. And I was, I always meant to go and check it out. And it's, I feel like it's, it's often categorized as kind of a satire, but it's a, it's a satire, but it is kind of a spoof. It, it's, it's a weird combination of uh, like, how would you define the comedic style of this? I mean, it's, it's kind of all over the place in some regards and that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's totally all over the place. Like, like you said, I mean, it's got that spoof. It's got that satire element. Uh, it's also like just, I mean, I feel like this, the 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 David Wayne and the state like kind of comedy and and Michael Showalter to all those guys, they they kind of set the tone for what would come later on with like Adult Swim and all that kind of stuff yeah. and and like like all the all the just weird out there comedy that's come in in the the decades since this came out in 2001 and it was like very ahead of its time when it came out i mean it was kind of you know even though there is plenty that we could uh point to you know as like a puzzle piece but i mean it really was kind of its own thing that hadn't quite been done like this before yeah not only that i mean when it when it came out and this is funny because the previous, I think, the previous record holder for the lowest-grossing film that I've talked about uh, since the then kind of switch over with the new format is, I think, mm-hmm. Sing Street, which made I think like six million domestically. This was apparently, according to Box Office Mojo, two hundred ninety-five thousand at the domestic <laughs> box office. So it's like one of those films that basically came out with kind of zero fanfare and got no yeah. attention, got negative reviews generally. Uh, I think I read that Roger Ebert gave it one out of four stars. And and (laughs) so, which on one hand, 
I understand because like I was even telling my wife earlier, I'm like, you you wouldn't like this movie. It's too it's too weird. She has she's she I think she she's not really a huge fan of absurdism. She's very literal minded, so she's like, well, that doesn't make sense. For example, in this movie, first of all, how how would Janine Garofalo get pregnant? It's been one day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> things like things like that. It's just like um, you know, <laughs> the, the logic does not apply to this film and. You have a, a talking can of mixed vegetables, for example. So uh, I understand sure. why the why the film was not uh, was kind of misunderstood in its time, but it it has really as evolved into such a cult classic to the point that Netflix did two limited series, like prequel and a sequel to it. Uh, have you seen yeah. either of those? I absolutely did. Um, like I I have seriously probably watched this movie. It, at least 50 times, if not much, much more than that. I mean, it was, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. And so I was, like, losing my mind when the uh, the, the prequel and sequel series came out. And I, I'd say they're, they're a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, there's plenty of stuff in them that is just as funny, if not funnier. But, like, overall, it kind of wears out its welcome a little bit with the uh, with all that. I mean, you know, they, they they drag it on much more than it needs to be. But that being said, I mean, there's still so much funny within those two, those those 16 episodes. And do they both cover uh, a single day each season? Is it the same? kind? Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. For, from what I remember, I don't think they broke that format. It's like the first day and then the last uh, and then uh, the 10 years later. Right. right. And uh, they're they're both just they're, I would say they're almost more absurd. Uh, they really just like, you know, just go crazy. And the, the, the best part about the whole thing is just the fact that the prequel series that they're playing themselves earlier on which it's you know are it's been over 10 years since this movie was made so the fact that they're all so much older and they're playing actually younger than the original movie is right. it's perfect so instead of late 30s <laughs> something's playing you know 17 they're like 40s like almost 50 year olds yeah. playing like yeah playing <laughs> even younger um so that's kind of you know that leads into exactly what was your when did you first see this film and was it kind of love at first sight or is it something that kind of had to grow on you as time has gone on? It was definitely love at first sight. Um, the, the weird thing about it is uh, I, I loved the state back when it was first on. Uh, and that would have been when I was in high school. And I had a bunch of episodes like taped on VHS uh, tapes and I, I would watch them all the time because there was no, you know, DVD collection. Right. There actually was a VHS collection. I, I think it was called... Uh, the state sketches and stickers with an asterisk and then the asterisk said stickers not included. Um, and it was like, it was just a little collection though of like, like an hour's worth of the sketches. It wasn't like anything complete. So I had that and a bunch of uh, recorded ones off the TV and I would just watch them all the time. And I think it was actually in 2001 that I just randomly was like, what the hell have these people been up to? Like, I haven't seen anything from them since then. And I looked it up and it was like, oh, they literally just came out with a movie. And I was just like in shock. And I, I, I seeked it out, of course, didn't get to see it in the theater, but I've seen it in the theater since then, uh, as like midnight screenings. Um, but I, I, I was able to get a copy and I was just like absolutely in love. It was everything I loved so much about the state back in the day. And it, it was it was just perfect. It was a, a continuation of that that sensibility and that that sense of humor. And they're all basically there. I think everybody is in it. 
um, except for uh, there's one guy I'm drawing a blank on his name, but uh, otherwise everybody else is in it. And of course, David Wayne was uh, the director of most of the state and uh, Michael Showalter wrote most of it. So, I mean, it's just great having all those people together and such an insane uh, supporting cast of all the other people who weren't necessarily part of the state, but joined on at this point and then i mean i'm sure we'll talk about you know the future a little later but Mm -hmm. i've stuck around with these guys for many years and been in a lot of the stuff they've done since yeah i mean you kind of led right into exactly what i was going to say which was the insane cast that they have for this film i mean most of whom i think if i had seen this in 2001 i I, you know i wasn't familiar with the state prior to this film really i mean i'd heard of it Mm -hmm. but i didn't really see it when it was on but if I had seen this in 2001, I, I was trying to figure out while I was watching it, like, how many of these people would I even really recognize from other things? Paul Rudd, you know, had been in The Clueless and things like that, but he hadn't really mm-hmm. broken broken out too huge yet. Uh, obviously, this Bradley Cooper's feature debut and, you know, Molly yep. Shannon from SNL, Janine Garofalo had seen in things like, you know, Mystery Men and, and some of her. She was in, in she was actually in a lot of movies in the late 90s. She was kind of everywhere. Uh, sure. David Hyde Pierce for um, things like Frasier, but a lot of them, like, you know, nobody really knew who Amy Poehler was, at least not, not till now. Now she's like a brand at this point. Yeah, or absolutely. Elizabeth Banks is a filmmaker in her own right. Um, it's so, yeah, let's talk about the cast that they assembled for this movie and I, the tremendous untapped at that point potential and how it's blossomed since then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these people have gone on to become some of the most successful and funny people in Hollywood. And uh, I mean, Paul Rudd alone is just like the greatest. And I mean, yeah, he had been in like just a few things at that point, or I mean, at least things that anybody would have seen, you know. Um, I I think the most famous people in the cast at the time were probably David Hyde Pierce and Janine Garofalo, Um, you know, maybe Molly Shannon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Christopher Maloney as, as Gene, the chef, um, all the, all the state people that are in it. Um, 80 miles who I believe, uh, is the head writer on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, God, who else was in that? Uh, oh, so just so many people are in this movie and yeah, it's just crazy. And, and that, that's part of the, uh, the, the joy of the Netflix series is that they managed to get everyone back. It, and then, it, you know, even it, yeah, and then some. Even if they're just like little bit parts, like just a little cameo, they still manage to get everybody back, which is, which is just amazing and just uh, such a testament to like the cult following and that that they really care about this, you know. Um, and and also I should mention uh, on Netflix, there's actually I don't remember the name of it. I have to look it up, but there's a little uh, behind the scenes like feature length documentary on the making of it and. I mean, it just looked like it was like, I mean, even though it was raining the whole time and like miserable, I mean, it just looked like a total party on the set. Like they all lived in the bunks uh, on the camp uh, and just drunk and just having a blast in their early 20s or whatever they were. Well, I read somewhere, too, that Paul Rudd, because the the um, budget was one point eight million, I guess, that it was mm. so spread so thin with everyone involved that he's still not sure that he actually got paid for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that's just, it, 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 it proves that this really was a labor of love on the part of not only Wayne and Showalter, but of, of all the cast. It, it does, you know, that comes through on screen. I think in some movies where you have a lot of, uh, a big on, ensemble cast, I think of something like Ocean's 12, which did not work for me. Uh, but it's like mm-hmm. you could tell that they had fun watching it, but you're like, okay, I'm just, it's like watching someone else 
you know, it's like being the sober guy at a party. It's like you're not really a part of it. You're not really participating right. in that experience with them. But this film, it just it oozes off the screen that kind of enthusiasm and that and that uh, that silliness that that permeates every moment of the movie. And and I don't know if this was heavily improvised, but it feels like it was heavily improvised. I know that the one scene with Ginny Garofalo doing all the improv, uh, doing all the campers' names, listing all, all <laughs> yeah. of them, I was like, this is such an this is such an ad lib. Like you'd see it on her face that she's just like making them up or coming out with ones as as she's thinking of them. Uh, it, to your knowledge, is this uh, one of those films that's heavily improvised, or or is it you know tightly scripted and just kind of made to look that way? I'm, I'm almost certain it's a total mix. Um, and it, that scene in particular made me, I, I love that scene so much because I actually went to a Jew camp, uh, for six years when I was, when I was a kid. Um, and that, those names are like right off of our roster. I mean, it, it's absolutely perfect. <laughs> and the fact that they did Godspell at their, uh, at the talent show, I was like, Oh, come on. <laughs> So yeah, good. it's so great. And it, it, it's it was both, I think, for me with the cast, it was both a reminder of of how long some of these people have been working and doing this this kind of, you know, like Paul Rudd, for example, who uh, who I don't know when, when you would say he like really broke out. But now he's in the highest grossing movie of all time. So clearly that's happened. Um, yeah. But even people like and Jimmy, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, and Bradley Oscar winning Oscar nominated uh, filmmaker, Bradley Cooper, multiple Oscar nominated actor. Yeah, all of that. Uh, but I, you know, Janine Garofalo. I don't. I haven't seen her in a while. Do much like at least not, like not like uh, not anything major that I don't know what she's been up to. So to see her here, I was like, hey, I remember you. You were like really big like in this time. So uh, it sure. reminded me just how how funny she was and because she. Would you say there is a, a lead character of this film? I mean, it's such an ensemble, but if there was one, I'd say it kind of opens and closes with her, I guess. I mean, I would I would say it's more of an ensemble than anything, but I would actually say uh, Michael Showalter's Coop would be the closest thing to a, a true lead for the movie because he, he has the main like love story, you know, getting his heart broken and everything. Right, right. Right. And that's yeah. uh, watching the film and uh, rec- trying trying to place uh, Katie, the whole movie. And then afterwards I looked her up and I was like, Oh, she was in the mighty ducks. That's probably what I remember her from like a million oh, years that's ago. Funny. The I, mighty ducks. I didn't remember that, but I know that, uh, in recent years I've seen her pop up in a million lifetime movies when I really? sit with my fiance, watch those movies with her. <laughs> so who of this sprawling cast, who would you say is, is kind of the MVP? Because I have, I have my take, but I want to see what, what you have to say first. Oh man, I, that is such a difficult question. I mean, I'd have to say like, uh, I, I, I'd have to say Paul Rudd really. I mean, it's just such a, such a classic role. I mean, but I, but I kind of feel for me personally would be, uh, Ken Marino, uh, Victor, uh, because I, I love Ken Marino so much and he's just so ridiculous. And that, that scene where, where he's, where he's driving back to camp and, and, and he's singing along and crashes the car. I mean, that's like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I, uh, for some reason, I, because everybody, I, I really liked the performance by Christopher Maloney is where I was going with this. Oh, I, so good. He was so great. And he is such the outsider in this group. Everybody is uh, either a camper or a counselor or I guess a professor that lives nearby the camp um, that he, he 
he he took he basically in, in, I think has the most absurd material of everyone. I mean, anything sure. he says, he's I'm gonna go fondle my sweaters or hump through the fridge and and like the whole I guess I meant I mentioned the the talking can of mixed vegetables, like all of that mm-hmm. was so funny and he was so committed to to the bit and that was very much a a type of character the jaded you know Vietnam vet who who that yeah. was like you know they did a joke on. Um, I haven't watched it in the longest time, but they did a joke on Family Guy a million years ago where there's an episode where where Peter opened a restaurant and he's like, oh, there's that angry Vietnam vet. And he's like, oh, I've seen some things, man, and some stuff. I wouldn't recommend it. And then and this was wouldn't kind recommend of... recommend it. Yeah. And, and this was just uh, the perfect play on that. And he, he gets just the right amount of crazed with every line delivery. Um, yeah. Is there a particular absurd moment in this movie that that is your favorite because I think one of mine is uh, <laughs> the fact that they wheel the fridge over for him to mount and then they wheel the fridge back out of frame <laughs> and everyone applauding like it's a big triumphant moment. That was hilarious. That is so great. And I, before I answer the question, I just want to say, uh, you know, Christopher Maloney, he is such a serious actor too. And, yeah. you know, things like law and order and all that stuff. But whenever I see him, I can't help but smile <laughs> because of this character. You know, I just like have this big dumb grin on my face. Uh, but one of, one of my favorite, just absurdist moments of the film is right when they get back from camp and, uh, Michael Showalter just runs over and stands up against the bunk mm-hmm. um, with like with his head just facing the wall for yep. no apparent reason. I love that so much. It's just so weird. <laughs> this is real. And this is really the kind of film that the more you enjoy those little subtle gags, the, the more you'll appreciate it. I mean, uh, if I hadn't been watching it with the subtitles on, I might not have noted just how many times you hear the pottery shattering sound effect oh, I know <laughs> which occurs I don't know maybe half a dozen times just randomly where they're in like oh, yeah. in the forest there's not even any pottery around uh, I think the <laughs> Wilhelm scream is even used at least a couple times uh, just like oh, this, yeah. the sound design even is like it, it's it's just such beautiful attention to detail and this is a movie that isn't afraid to to range from the from the very conceptual gag of we're gonna have 30 somethings playing teenagers but also acting against real teenagers. Uh, and yeah, mm-hmm. there'll be romances between those two groups and you know, we just got to roll with it. But there's also <laughs> kids that get drowned just by negligence. There's, they go on sure. a, a, a drug binge where people are shooting up heroin and everything at one point. Um, it's just like, I, I, yeah, watching it, I was just like, I couldn't believe that they were, they were going for it in that way. And what was that like for you seeing that from the, you know, for the first time and over the years, like, is that a style of comedy you were accustomed to before you saw this? I feel like I kind of was because of how big of a fan I was of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, 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 that just absolute absurdist, just strange style of comedy absolutely was back in the state as well. Uh, some of those sketches are still some of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I just love this stuff and, and, you know, as, as far as like David Wayne as a filmmaker, I, I absolutely just love, love everything that he's done. Um, especially like I would say almost even more than this or the state is his, uh, the Stella sketches, which I don't know if you've ever heard of, but it's, it's him, Michael Showalter and Michael Ian Black, 
uh, who plays McKinley in the movie, and the three of them in suits just getting into weird little situations, and they're like th- just these weird little short films, and they're absolutely bizarre, and they're just the most insane, uh, unique thing I've ever seen in my life. And I, if I've watched anything more than What Hot American Summer, it's that because it's just so insane, and I love it. I, I just love their sensibility so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. I, I also, one thing that I did note that I, I thought they actually handled, it was, a, it was a smart, uh, reversal of expectations because obviously this is, you know, a big spoof on the sex comedies of the eighties, as we mentioned, it starts with a big, like, Oh, this is your last chance to get laid in summer camp. That whole like very common, uh, premise and, uh, sure. you know, playing off of the whole camp thing that was huge in the 80s with all the horror movies and all the comedies and all that. But then they set up the whole thing with McKinley about uh, trying to get him trying to get him laid. And it ends up being that he's uh, in a relationship with Ben, which I thought it, it, that that moment, you know, it's it's a funny reveal in the movie. But they also later on, they they, they told the line with that romance that it, it's like between it, it kind of goes back and forth between being a parody and being really earnest like just when you think they're right, like make, it's a sweet romance yeah yeah, yeah. that just when you <laughs> but but just when you think like oh they're gonna like they're gonna like uh you know rag on him about it they're like we got you this you know for your your wedding and stuff you know and i, I just thought that was uh that was a really fun way to to flip it because you know the movie's being made in 2001 not 1980 so the uh, you know the politics of that whole thing have changed as well, and I thought it was a fun way sure. to handle that. Um, what did what did you think about the way that they they handled that that romance? I I love it. I I think it's so great, and I mean it's so it's so strangely progressive. Yeah, but like exactly. Like, re, re, just it's so. I mean, I don't even. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it, when I said earlier in the conversation that the movie is ahead of its time, I mean, it, nothing had, I think, had ever been like that before. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it's almost insane to think about what people must have thought in 2001 watching that if they weren't, like, used to uh, ridiculous, weird comedy. And and, and then, um, you know, I, it, I always do wonder people who – maybe go back and like, Oh, look at this movie that I never heard of with Paul Rudd and Bradley Cooper. And, and, you know, <laughs> like and they go back and they see this and like what they must think of it, because it's just so out there. Well, I mean, not only do you have the way that they handle that, you have a lot of the, you have a, a nice combination of, you know, the, the sort of typical, uh, subplots like with you know the nerd who really wants to be with the the hot girl who's dating the asshole and that whole thing the way that play but then you have the the subplot of where uh where they're they're trying to i guess stop a piece of the skylab satellite from falling on <laughs> the cam and they create this homemade device with cans of spam and all kinds of stuff um it's it just it's it it's one of those films that doesn't that almost kind of defies its own genre in a lot of ways. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Another, another thing just to add to that part of the conversation is, uh, the, the evil team that's going to come and challenge them in baseball. Oh my God. I love that. Just not to bother. Like it's trite (laughs) and and played out. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. That was, and that was probably the closest that the film got to really breaking the fourth wall. Like, eh, it's been done before. Let's, let's try something else. Mm -hmm. And then they completely under, understand the, the the team from Camp Tiger Claw, 
and they just keep <laughs> going right along. I'm like, oh, they were cool. And then, and then they move on to the next thing. I thought that was great. That was hilarious. Because I even, so, even on some level, even, you know, even I was just like, oh, we're going to do that. So it's going to be like a Bad News Bears type of scenario. I mean, come right, on, it's been right. done before. And the movie is like, yeah, you're right. It has. <laughs> Let's keep going with well, something else. That's the thing. These are, this is clearly a movie by people who love movies. Yes. You know, it's like they've seen every one of these and they know every beat, like, like note for note. And that's why they're able to just, you know, totally, I guess for lack of a better word, like deconstruct the whole thing and, and just turn it into just the weirdest possible version of it. And I think that's something to touch back with the initial release of the film. I think that's something that really kind of, is like the mainstream isn't really ready for that. Like there's no way the majority of people are going to understand the sensibility or be into it or give it, want to give it a shot. So it's, yeah. it's having seen this now and, and kind of getting where it's coming from a little more. I, I really want to go back and watch. I think, uh, I think one of the only movies of, of uh, David Wayne's that I'd seen that had kind of a similar comedic style was they came together. And I didn't, at the time mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. This is weird. I don't know what the hell's going on. And I feel like if I were to watch it now with, a, you know, having been initiated into uh, the Wet Hot American Summer kind type of comedy, I think I would have a much more appreciation for it. Have you seen that one also again with Paul Rudd and uh, Amy Poehler? Sure. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing about that movie and I, I want to love that movie so much, but th- that movie had a little bit of a troubled uh, production where that was going to be uh, after, after what Hot American summer, he made the 10, which I absolutely love as well as another great, great David Wayne movie also starring most of these people and a whole bunch more. Uh, but that was supposed to be his next movie after that. And then it had to get put on the back burner. Then David Wayne made a couple of more mainstream movies with Judd Apatow Mm -hmm. and then finally came back to it. And in the meantime, used a lot of the same like bits and jokes and ideas in some of like the smaller little things he had done over the years, like little web series and stuff like that. And so by the time they came together, finally came out, like if you were as hardcore of a David Wayne nerd as I was, like you had seen so many of these jokes played out in the past that the movie kind of lost a little bit of its punch. But that being said, uh, there's, there's a lot of funny in it. And I mean, it's still pretty damn great. You know, for people that saw Wet Hot American Summer and really gelled with it, or what other films kind of similar style would you, would you recommend? And I guess I'm speaking for myself as well, as well as listeners. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, definitely, you know, like I said, the 10 is is go right to the 10 because, I mean, it's really, really insane. It's very out there. Um, It plays almost like a series of 10 sketches. It's it's based on the 10 commandments and uh, and Paul Rudd is like the narrator and going throwing to basically different sketches each time. And it's 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 totally bizarre. And it has this kind of a cast and it wasn't it doesn't have as big of a cult following for some reason, which I I'd never understood because it's just as funny. It's it's freaking hilarious. Um, and then also just sticking with David Wayne, um, as far as his movies are concerned, uh, you know, he, he has uh, a bunch of projects out there. But I would say the the next best would probably be Wanderlust um, with uh, Paul Rudd and uh, Jennifer Aniston which was a little more mainstream, but still had, uh, you know, a lot of really weird flourishes and, uh, Justin throwing it is just absolutely amazing. He's so funny. Um, but those would be the main things as far as like David Wayne related things or the Stella shorts, like I was mentioning earlier. 
but as far as like other movies like this, I would almost just have to go like back to, like I said earlier, like spoofs, like Naked Gun and Airplane and stuff like that. I don't know that there's a lot of other movies that really capture anything close to this kind of a tone, you know? Right. I, I know it, it did remind me sort of structurally of something like Dazed and Confused, but I think that's only because of just the, you know, the the range of characters that it attempts to sure. cover and over you know, such a finite period, things like that. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, it's very distinctive. And I, and I think it's always reassuring when a film this weird and this different actually manages to connect with people and to the fact, to the, yeah. to the point that Netflix made follow-up shows. And like you said, there's screenings and there was a huge anniversary thing that happened uh, in 2011 for the 10 years it's really cool yeah, when a movie. I like wanted it. to be there so bad, so bad that I couldn't. <laughs> so getting back to the, I guess the plot of the film. The thing about the plot of this film is that there isn't. It's it almost feels like a, a and it's just kind of. It's weird because I want to say that it's strung together, but it, it feels well thought out. But then kind of just kind of an outline for the, sure. the characters to let loose. I, which of the which of the characters stories. Um, which of them do you find, I guess, most uh, most compelling or, or hilarious or whatever criteria you want to use? Because yeah, I, th- I think I think the storyline, like I said earlier about being a main character, I think Michael right. Showalter's coop would be the closest thing to a through storyline. Because otherwise, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, almost like I was just saying about the ten. I mean, this is kind of an excuse to string a bunch of sketch ideas together into right. a movie. And like you said, is it the plot is basically meaningless to the overall experience? I mean, it really, it's a matter of just weird funny things happening and there there is plot there but it's like it's certainly secondary to let's just put as many laughs as possible in this thing right how do you how would you think that see i'm as a creative person or an aspiring creative person i'm really impressed when film is able to pull stuff pull something like that together you know to to have Mm. a bunch of this many talented performers and this little of plot and, and in order to uh, enrich it in the way that they do in this film, what do you, uh, what do you attribute that to? I, I mean, I guess just the skill of the actors, but like from a writing standpoint, like how do you, what do you think is the trick to that? Because so many films, try, so many movies try to, to attempt something ridiculous, you know, attempt this kind of ridiculous humor and just fall flat as a result. What do you think is kind of sure. the, the special sauce in uh, wet hot? You know, I, I wish I knew, I, I think it really, you, you kind of touched on it when you said performers. I mean, I think this movie is filled with so many funny ideas, so many like funny, you know, little jokes and bits and, and, and callbacks and, and just like, like playing with different genre conventions. But when it comes down to it, I mean, it, it's the cast. I mean, the cast sells everything so well. You could tell that every member of this cast just they they just had such a, a a love for for these kind of movies and they knew exactly how to play it the, the right combination of playing it straight and also kind of just goofing on it at the same time and you know a, another uh, I mean it's kind of completely unrelated but I I just figured I'd bring it up is. Uh, this summer, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another largely plotless movie mm-hmm. that, 
you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And again, it, it comes down to the, the actors performances. I mean, we, you've got these incredible characters that are just, you know, such a joy to watch. And of course it's a very different kind of movie, although it is, uh, it is recreating a certain, uh, era, just, just like <laughs> what hot American summer is, but certainly to different means. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it just goes to show, though, that you can you can pay homage to to a certain era and to a certain style of movie and then just kind of twist it. And and if the, the actors and the performances and the characters that they're playing are interesting, it like, you know, it really kind of ties it together, even when there's not so much plot. Yeah. And the, the film goes to, you know, goes that extra mile to make the the setting feel not necessarily authentic to 1981, but authentic to films of the eighties set in camp. You know what I mean? So it's like, sure. It's not, yeah. uh, um, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood is trying to capture his version of 1969 in Hollywood. Yes. And with that, you know, very specific vision of what Hollywood was like, which plays into Tarantino's whole revisionist history, the kick that he yeah. he's really into these days. But, you know, with the music here uh, is right out of the 80s. Everything is staged the same way. Um, you have a lot of the same kind of stock characters and and uh, direct riffs on, on uh, moments from those films. But at the same time, what I think is impressive, too, is that the, the, what happens, the visual gags, everything is, is so dialed up. However, the characters still kind of make sense. You know what I mean? They don't. They don't. Sure. The, the characters don't feel erratic. Where all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, Coop is just. A, I mean, well, he is kind of a completely different person in this. But that's when we get. That's only for a specific moment. Uh, he gets a mm-hmm. little bit of uh, training, in uh, in a classic <laughs> '80s montage style, which again yes. was another nice nod to to the era of films that that this one's trying to uh, to capture. Speaking of that scene, um, you, you touched on the music for a minute there, and I, this soundtrack is fantastic and a perfect combination of real songs from that era with with fake songs that sound exactly like they could have come from yes. that era and oh, from yeah. a movie from that time. Uh, Craig Wedren, who who's done I think all of the music for everything David Wayne's ever done, uh, made some really incredible songs for this. That I mean, I find myself singing just out of the blue anytime, like Higher and Higher, which is the song in that uh, in that montage scene and then the the way hot american summer song and i mean just such great songs in this movie it's it's really got some awesome music yeah there was a i think a hip-hop song playing like in the latter half of the credit of the credits yeah that that felt like yeah like right out of the early 80s (laughs) perfect absolutely perfect but the characters too, like w- one thing that that really spoke to me, like you think that the movie is going to go in a certain direction with the whole Katie Coop Andy thing, and then at the end, it it really just kind of boils down to staying true to that those characters, and that Katie's like, listen, I'm 16, I'm not thinking about a future, <laughs> I'm just this guy's hot, and it makes you know that that's what it is. I'm all about the sex right now, and that's I'm, I'll worry about that maybe in 10 years. I haven't seen that, so I have to see what happens in that. But uh, but I love that <laughs> moment and that, that again, playing so much of comedy is toying with your expectations in just the right way and, sure. and surprising you. And, and this movie continually does that, but then still the, the character arcs remain intact. And I think that's the real the real difference here. A character arcs during one day. 
where mm -hmm. <laughs> it just so exactly. just adds to the ridiculousness. Exactly. <laughs> Watching the film, I was kept trying to figure out who's actually playing their own age and who's playing a teenager. Because there are moments mm -hmm. throughout where, um, you know, Paul Rudd or whoever is inter interacting with some of the other characters, like Molly Shannon is playing a 30-something. Uh, sure. And there's a couple other ones that I, I, I think that just really adds to the flavor of this film. The fact that you don't know if you're, when you're looking at someone, what age they're really supposed to be, because it's just kind of all over the place. And I think that, oh, yeah. that, that leads into the whole kind of, and that makes it feel more authentic as kind of a, an improv exercise in a way. You're not going to, well, you're not, well, today you're a teenager and you're, you know, whatever. And I, and I love that, that, uh, that feeling of it. It feels like you're, you're in on like live improv theater in a way. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another thing about authenticness, uh, or I should say authenticity, uh, is, you know, like I said earlier, I, I did go to camp for, for six years and I went to camp in Pennsylvania, which is not far from where this was shot. I think it was shot in, uh, in Maine possibly, but, uh, this is looks ev exactly like my memory of camp. Um, it, as as much as they go in absurdist directions and make things weird, uh, it is a an absolute vision of what summer camp was like for me during that time. It looks like this was actually shot in Pennsylvania, so it might have been very similar, very close to the camp where that you went to. Oh, it was in Pennsylvania. That's right. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I I know, um, you know, the girl that's singing Day by Day. I, I don't know her personally, but she went to my school. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> so you do have, so I wasn't joking at the beginning of this episode, you do have a personal connection to this film. A, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, I've talked to her like once to tell her how cool that was. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so fun. I, and yeah, I, I think that's another aspect of why I like doing the show so much is that you, in talking with people, you I feel like you learn a lot about people by finding out what kind of art they're into. So what, what kind of films they love, what kind of music they listen to. I think that tells you a lot about a person's sensibility and or you learn about a, a lot about them personally. So I never went to camp. So I relate to this movie totally differently than you do. Uh, than, you sure. Know, you know, we have different connections to things. And so I think that's such a, such a great opportunity with this film to to talk about, you know, specifically about how how big of a role your own history plays into why this film resonates with you so much. I think that's really cool. Right, right, absolutely. So I guess before we start winding down, David, is there anything about Wet Hot American Summer we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we, we covered? Oh, man, I, I yeah, I'm trying to think if there's something like really important that we left out here, but... Um, I, I'm drawing a blank on any any extras. I I just think like the you know the big legacy of the movie really is just that cast. Um, it, it's you know these these people really have all gone on to do so much. It's it's absolutely crazy. They've everybody has been in so many things, and and that makes me so happy as somebody who was following the state back when it first came on, and and for some reason nobody was watching it, and then MTV canceled it, and. And then they had so much trouble ever really getting something else going. They they, uh, they had, I think it was on CBS where they were going to get picked up, and then that fell through. It's like a big whole story about that you can read online. And and then they just couldn't get a new project off the ground, and then this finally happens. And it, it, they've been working pretty consistently since then, like the main crew. And then, of course, all the, the friends that they brought along along the way, people like Paul Rudd and Christopher Maloney and 
you know, uh, Janine Garofalo, who have been in so many of their other stuff along over the years. And it's interesting, too, to see how they've stuck together and kept making things together. I mean, Bradley Cooper popped up in, in a couple of the Stella shorts uh, after this. And Paul Rudd has been in basically everything David Wayne has ever done. Um, it, it's It's awesome to see these people, like just continuing to work together because they clearly love it. And they all have this sensibility that they probably don't get to explore like with other, you know, filmmakers or in other situations. It's, it's also funny too, to note that, yeah, the cast has gone on to great things, but this film, even though it's a cult classic, like they, they're still like, I, there still aren't very many films like this, as you were saying. I mean, that's it. The legacy of the movie is that the cast has gone on to great things. Not that the film has really you know, made that much of a, a of an impact changing the direction of, of, you know, comedy and cinema. In fact, I feel like big screen sure. comedies are, are kind of falling into a little bit of a rut a lot of time, a lot of times this last few oh, years. Yeah. I feel like there are very few mainstream studio comedies, especially that are landing at the box office. And those that do are usually not very good or very paint by numbers, very derivative. There's not a whole lot of fresh voices in, in at least the mainstream uh, studio system when it comes to comedy. And I think that's a real shame. So, uh, you know, it, it's a good opportunity for people listening to this that haven't seen Wet Hot to go back and check it out. It's on Netflix. The, both of the shows are on Netflix. There's, let's see, what is it, like uh, 18 hours or something, probably? I'm not sure yeah. how long. The, there's like a bazillion hours of Wet Hot American uh, Summer to to delve into. So I would encourage people to definitely check that out. So, uh, David, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you can find Piecing It Together uh, at PiecingPod on all the different social medias and our website, PiecingPod.com, and our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we talk about all the movies that we talk about on the podcast. And I just want to say, I feel like I did a mitzvah getting you to finally watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'll have to <laughs> message my, uh, my my former coworker and friend on Facebook and be like, hey, I finally saw Wet Hot. It's really funny. You were right. I should have listened to you like, you know, five years ago or whenever that was uh, to go and check it out. But yeah, I'm glad that we were fa- finally able to to make this happen and we got connected and we were able to uh, to have this conversation because, you know, I love to talk about little films on the podcast and get the, the you know, get the word out about smaller films that if, unless you're unless you're a part of the wet hot cult, you might be you might be like me and you've heard of it vaguely, but haven't really ever set aside the 97 minutes or whatever it is to go and check it out. And uh, it's, as I said, it's accessible out there. So David Rosen from Piecing It Together, thank you so much for coming on the Crooked Table podcast. This was a lot of fun, and I would love to have you back uh, another time. Maybe you could pick another uh, another shameful blind spot of mine, and we can <laughs> shine a light on it. <laughs> I, w- I would love to do that, and maybe we'll get you on Piecing It Together one Absolutely, absolutely. Let me know. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the